And the things that I teach in there are actually like the leadership stuff actually affects all of your relationships. I talk about how with letting go of control and getting rid of your ego and learning how I'm only in charge of me, I'm not in charge of you. In the first half of the book, you are going to get improved relationships with your spouse, with people at work. Like the first half of my book is written toward your children, but it also helps you reinforce your relationship elsewhere. Hi, I'm Talia, and welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, and relationships. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. My guest today is Sue Donnellan. Sue is a parenting specialist whose expertise in child behavior, relationships, and emotional resilience. She's a USA Today best-selling and multi-award winning author who wrote the book Secrets to Parenting Without Giving a Fuck. She's worked with parents for 20 years, helping them end tantrums, sidestep power struggles, eliminate backtalk, neutralize sibling fights, and build a lifelong relationship of trust with their kids. Thank you so much for being here today, Sue. Welcome. I'm really excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to chat. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about parenting without giving a fuck. But before we get into <laughs> that, <laughs> um, before we get into that, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you got to where you are now. Well, way back when I was growing up, I, I never really liked kids. I never wanted kids. I never <laughs> fashioned myself as, as a mom or, or envisioned myself as being a parent. But uh, when I when I married my husband, I found my soulmate in college. When when we got together, he wanted a couple of kids, so I said, "Oh, nicest thing I'll ever do for anybody, right?" Um, and decided to have a couple of kids for him. And on our second pregnancy, I ended up dropping two eggs in one split, and I ended up with natural triplets. So I went from being a mom of one to a mother of four overnight. But also prior to the children, I had started my own business. I left the corporate world in New York City and went and started my own business. And, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and my husband's in the military. So I moved around with him so that we could, I could support his journey of flying fighter jets. And after about six years of marriage thought, ah, oh, you know, he wants kids. I'll have a couple kids <laughs> and ended up going from one to four. So, uh, while I am also very entrepreneurial and I've run my own business, I, we get to the book title because, I found myself in the deep end swimming without, you know, a life raft <laughs> when it came to parenting while also running my businesses. So, yeah, wow, hardcore deep end, four children. Yes, like said, <laughs> not. Oh yes. <laughs> wow. So that would have been. How did like? How did you physically cope with three kids crying at potentially the same time? Often, <laughs> you know, it wasn't as hard. I'm going to be honest with you. From my parent, from the friends that I know that have had one, two, three, even four kids independently, I front-loaded some of that pain and that effort. It was a lot of work for sure. We were exhausted. I was catnapping at red lights, literally I, I sheer exhaustion. Yeah. Uh, but you know, with the dynamic of, of triplets or even any multiples, they feed off one another. And honestly, we didn't have a lot of moments where kids were crying out of control or kids running in every direction. It was, there's a really interesting, cool dynamic with, with the multiples that kept them sort of watching out for each other and taking care of each other. And um, it wasn't as bad as you would think, but just the sheer amount of volume of work, you know, three kids with diapers, you know, three kids teething, three kids 
when one gets sick, you've got everyone sick, but we also have an older son. So right. um, it was, it was definitely a lot of work, but I found that it was a lot easier to have four kids when three came at once <laughs> than it was for the moms that had them one at a time. Yeah. I like that. I like what you said. You front loaded the work. Yeah. That's very, very true. I kind of like that. I was one of the twins for the same reason. Like get all the hard yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of multiples. <laughs> so I just, I, I really, you know, it does seem like it's overwhelming and difficult, but it was truly it's a gift. It's a beautiful experience to see them take care of each other and just really kind of circle the wagons for each other. In fact, our older one was not able to be a typical big brother because if he ever started to pull those types of antics, they shut him out. <laughs> so it's just, it was kind of cool. Yeah. I highly yeah. recommend twins if you can have them. <laughs> Okay. So, so you had four children, you've had this journey with your husband, um, traveling the country. How did Uh you end up being a parenting specialist, especially from someone who didn't want kids? Right. Well, those that, um, have much to learn turn out to be the better teachers. (laughs) In my opinion, I had, you know, so much to figure out and I'm a type A person in my own business, do it because I said, you know, I had no clue of what parenting entailed. And I had no idea that you had to have all these multi ways of approaching kids and, you know, developing those relationships and what in what goes into that. It was hugely eye-opening for me. So of course, overwhelmed with four kids and working and a husband that was deployed to war uh, when they were very young, um, I was yelling all the time. I realized that, you know, my, my kids' eyes were glazing over, nothing was working. Being type A, you know, thinking, just do it because I said, mm-hmm. realizing quickly that that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And just understanding all the nuances that it takes to teach and train and, and mold a, a young child. Um, so I found myself in a parenting class, you know, the kids were in a Montessori school for kindergarten, my older son was. And I was just, exhausted, yelling all the time, frustrated that, uh, that they weren't doing, you know, he especially wasn't doing what I asked. So I found myself in a parenting class and, you know, I got some basic foundations to, um, just Montessori is all about independence and all about what kids are capable of doing on their own. And it kind of opened my eyes. So once I started doing a couple of the the concepts, I, I have an innate innate ability for sales and for reading people and for psychology. And I'm a, I'm a a quick study. So, you know, I'm very, I'm I'm intuitive. And I I started, once they kind of sparked that in me and showed me what was capable, I was kind of off and running and using some of my own innate abilities. And as I started experimenting and learning and using more tech techniques with my kids, I realized I really had an ability to, to do, to do this and to raise good kids who are accountable, who are independent. Uh, and as more friends started, you know, experiencing my kids and seeing how they were behaving, they would ask me, you know, what do I do with this? What do I do with that? And so it sort of happened organically. Um, you know, kids were maybe our oldest was about six and our triplets were maybe three at the time. And around that age, I started kind of getting my sea legs, right? <laughs> like getting, getting my, my feet underneath me. So when I wrote the book, I was able to sort of share with everybody my journey of discovery as to how I learned the best way to motivate young children and to create accountability and um, 
do all of those things that help create independent kids that can make decisions for themselves. So that's kind of how I, it, it happened organically and organically for me to be able to see how, what I was doing was working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So you said that you, before this, you were mostly yelling at your son, your eyes were glazing over, sorry, the, the your son's eyes were glazing over. Yeah. Um, and, and then you took this parenting class and you had it like a light bulb moment. Um, how quickly mm-hmm. after you started implementing the techniques, did you see a difference in your son's behavior? Very quickly. Uh, in fact, you know, I grew up where my mom was a micromanager and I grew up punished. Okay. I grew up in the seventies, you know, back in those days, all, all of us as parents, all we're doing is the best that we can. We don't mm-hmm. really know what, what to do until we're in the situation. And right. if you can't read a room and you can't say, okay, you know, I have to check in with myself. Parenting is about me. It's not about the kids because they're responding to me. Even though we think we're responding to their behavior, they're mm-hmm. actually responding to us. So you have to stop in the moment and, and put that mirror on yourself and say, what can I do differently? If I'm getting this result when I behave this way, how do I switch it up? How do I show up differently? Mm. Um, and so that was really just you know, me taking stock of when I started applying some of these techniques, it really did work quickly because I was listening. And I was holding myself accountable that if I'm going to take credit for a good behaved, well-behaved child, I need Mm -hmm. to also take credit when they're not behaving. And, you know, it's, so it really was that epiphany for me. So when I treat my kids with respect and I treat them with expectations and I don't micromanage and I don't control. So because I was grounded, because my mom used punishment on me. And again, you know, this is what she knew is all she knew because of all of that. I was able to quickly kind of say, okay, this isn't working. My yelling, my punishment, my restriction isn't working, but because I took the class, I was able to kind of start learning a few techniques about what would work at those young ages. And then I just sort of, I grew along with that as the kids got older and started just ramping up the techniques and the methods until, you know, through teenagers, it was really, I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was much easier because I'd already had kids that were making their own decisions and, you know, not being punished, but they were being taught and trained. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that because I, I feel very fortunate that I grew up with a very conscious mother and she did a lot mm-hmm. of work on herself. And I think that that's why she was well, one of the reasons why she was such a great parent. I mean, I think mm-hmm. she's very sweet anyway, but I think she, she did so much self-help work and she was, she was always aware. And, and I was not an easy child. So <laughs> I, I wasn't either because I didn't like the restriction, but yeah. Right. So, yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting. I really love what you said before you said, if you're going to take credit for the good behavior, You've also got to take credit for the bad behavior. That, that was kind of a bit of a, a light bulb moment for me. So let's let's yeah. talk specifically about what does work then. So we, you went to that parenting class. Um, you had a bit of a light bulb moment yourself. You started implementing what was working. What was kind of, what stopped the yelling? Okay. So if I'm going to take accountability for myself and how I behave and how I'm reacting, um, that just, that's a, that's a take stock moment. So what I, what I teach parents and what I ultimately discovered for myself was to the, uh, the reason a lot of parents feel very overwhelmed is because they're just, they're reacting to the moments. They're reacting quickly. Um, so for me to figure out how to make changes, I had to stop and take stock from the, let me break out my day, right? I'm with the kids. How many hours, when do I yell most? How, where are the patterns? 
let me recognize the patterns. And then how do I break the patterns? Because I'm in charge Mm -hmm. of how I create the culture of the home and how I, how everything unfolds when they're young, right? I am setting that tone. I create that culture. So for me, it took what I now call parenting in advance. And I teach parents to do what I sort of just did innately, which was look at your day, um, find out what's causing the most overwhelm, what's causing the most frustration. And, you know, is it, is it right before the kids go to school? When do you yell the most? Ask yourself the hard questions. Ask yourself, what is causing the yelling? Am I pushing, you know, let's go, let's go, you know, how do I back everything up to where it's, it's a, it's a level playing field at this point. And then how do I unfurl the day um, with the most success? So are we getting up too late? Um, Do the kids, you know, what, do they need a better method to get themselves up? How do I back everything up to plan for the day? And how do I understand myself and my, my behavior? When am I yelling most? Do I take any accountability or ownership or is it the kids pushing my buttons how do I control them not pushing my buttons? What else can I do? Um, and then you set that stage. And then from that place, you create expectations for the kids. So understand your day, understand your part and what you, you know, you have the power to do anything, anything different. Um, and then, then you get your kids on board. So if there's a certain thing that's causing you to yell, um, look at your day and say, okay, when they come home from school, they're not doing their homework and I'm yelling. How do I restructure this so that I'm not yelling and that they take accountability for the behavior? So it's all, like I said, a parenting in advance type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in, let's use that scenario, the homework scenario. Is there a consequence if the, if the homework doesn't get done? And, and how do we reframe that as, a, as like a consequence rather than a punishment? Okay. So I like to call it a collaborative accountability. So it's, it's what we do is, and at any age, this is possible. And this is one of the things that was a light bulb moment for me with the Montessori was truly showing me what my kids are capable of at any age. And so once I saw that and experienced that through the classroom, I was often running going, you know, I have a scenario in the book where I went in for a parent-teacher conference. Um, I think the triplets were four and our oldest was six or something. And I walked in, I went in, oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm so, I had to pack their lunch. I had to, you know, I was so involved with all these ways that I was needed. And the teacher looked at me like, why were you packing their lunch? And I'm like, they're five or four? <laughs> what, aren't I supposed to be packing your lunch? No. She reminded me about all what, what they were all capable of. Um, so. Once I realized, wow, I can restructure and expect almost anything if I just package it right and I just train them and take time for training. Mm-hmm. So taking time for training and understanding that, you know, they're a, they're they're a clean slate. They just need and meet, rely on me to teach them and train them everything. So we put all their food on their level, moved all their cups down, got their juices. They were in charge of what flavors of juice, but they picked their juice, not me yelling, wait, do you want the grape or the red today? Wait, wait. You know, I was huffing and puffing and overwhelmed mm-hmm. when that wasn't really my responsibility to pack their lunch. I'm responsible for purchasing the food, telling them you have to make a sandwich, you have to have fruits, you have to have, but everything is on their level. They're packing it. Now I'm taking more off my plate. And they were feeling very accomplished and very happy that they, and they would eat their lunch as opposed to the kids that would throw it out. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
these are the types of things that when we talk about accountability or an, or a consequence, what I really like to talk about first is how I bake in the um, just that that accountability factor for them that they're in charge and that they're making decisions and that they're choosing and that they're eventually that was so successful we moved on to having them um, do their own laundry at six. They had the little pop up pamper and taught them and trained them how to do that. So when you create a culture and an environment in your home to where your kids are really contributing and adding value, the consequence of either not doing homework or and the homework thing is probably a bad example because um, I have a whole thing about how I don't really worry about grades. That's their responsibility. <laughs> but anyway, the expectations that you establish and the training combined, it, it just consequences tend to be a more a collaboration because now we're going to go, okay, how do we get this done? Right. How are we going to, let's restructure so if I look at my day and I plan ahead and I'm thinking about parenting in advance, I look at the day, I take accountability for how it's unfolding and how are they feeling rushed and what can I do to stop that? How else can I creatively problem solve? Um, then we talk with them and say, I notice that you're not getting your homework done when we come home from school. Would you rather do it after dinner? When would you like to do Because you're getting your homework done. We have responsibilities. We have papers we need to do. So I talk about it more as a collaborative consequence mm-hmm. as opposed to a punishing consequence or a demand because mm-hmm. that doesn't motivate anybody. So one thing that I'm noticing when you're talking is it, it sounds like it requires from the parent a lot of letting go because what came to mind for me was um, I used to be a behavioral therapist and there was a, a, a child I was working with, with children with autism, and there was a child I was working with, and I had one parent who was particularly um, controlling and she wanted, so this child would perform a task and then she would want to redo it <laughs> because she, yeah. <laughs> and Classic. She, yeah. And I knew it was, um, you know, it was coming from a good place and also a lot of cult, like background culture for her. But it was really, it was such an interesting moment for me because in my mind, I was like, if you're interrupting your child's experience, you're almost taking away an opportunity for them to learn for themselves how to do it. 100%. A parent that does that thinks that my methods are are, um, permissive parenting. They completely miss the collaboration. Like, first of all, in the book, the first half of my book is is structured to your relationship with yourself. Okay. The second half of my book is structured about your relationship with your child. In the first half of the book, my very first chapter is letting go of ego or losing your ego. But the second chapter is letting go of control and trusting your gut. Because these are the types of things that make it, these are the things we want to get checked with ourselves, right? We want to get sure, make sure our ego is out of the way. We want to make sure that we're aware of what our control is doing. Mm -hmm. That restriction creates rebellion. So now, right, remember, your child is reacting to you. That it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a counterintuitive way of thinking about how we parent and how we approach this. It's a mindset. So I'm very much about the parenting mindset and teaching that to the parents. And um, so it's, that's the overarching, I guess, method that I, that I teach. The very first thing is we talk about you. And how, mm-hmm. how, you know, the empowerment that you have as the parent to change and to say that if you're not liking the result that you're getting, here's what we can do. 
because without you changing and looking at your how you're showing up currently, we're not gonna we're not gonna make any headway. <laughs> right, right. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. I don't have children, um, but I said to him, I, I think parenting would be easy if the parents weren't always exhausted. <laughs> Like it'd be so much easier to operate with full brain capacity when you're not at this like absolute breaking point exhaustion. I'm about to cry level. And I I was talking about to his partner because she's always like just run off her feet exhausted. And, and, And her baby was there crying and we were both there and her baby was crying and she was able to really be there and hold space. And I said to her, oh, you must be feeling, um, because she started talking about the impact of the baby crying and she goes, I have this physical reaction. And I said, I guess it's easier when you're not tired. And she goes, yeah, I can just be with him and it's okay that mm. he's crying. But when I'm tired, it's like everything's heightened and just everyone starts freaking out, <laughs> not just the baby. Yes. So how do right. like in those moments, in, in the utter exhaustion, how, what are some tips to kind of bring ourselves back to? That's, I have to say, you know, I think what you said is a hugely insightful thing and incredibly true. And I mean, I had overwhelm when the kids were young, but it really, really ramped up when they were teenagers. Right. Because the stakes were higher. I had triplets on the road driving. They were mm-hmm. out experimenting with all the stuff that kids want to do. And I liken it to, I was on a treadmill that never stopped. You can't step off the treadmill. Okay. Sometimes the treadmill is going quickly and you're like, you know, and then the treadmill slows down and you're like, okay, I can catch my breath, but I'm still moving and I can't stop moving. And it takes a toll on us. And I'm not, I'm pretty good with balance. I was working, I work from home. Yes, I had four kids, but I feel like it's all relative. If you have one, two, three, or four, it's all relative. It's all hard. So I'm, I can't say that I had four. And that was harder. It wasn't, that's not the case at all. So I think you have to make peace with the fact that it is, it is exhausting and it is overwhelming and that everything is a phase. So I do teach parents about phase behavior. I have a whole chapter on it because sometimes if you understand, okay, right now I'm really exhausted. The treadmill is going quickly, but soon it's going to slow down. I try to teach people that big picture because when you're a parent and you're dealing with any phase, every day is a new day. You've never seen this day before with a child, you, you, you know, so it's a new day. The beauty that someone like me can add is that I've been through every phase. So I know, I know what's coming. I can I have a different perspective and I can teach you, okay, take, take a breath. Yep. This is, this is a grind time right now, probably going to be another couple of weeks and then things will sort of start to back off. I think that I mean, to answer your question about that is just understanding that that is part of parenting when you're doing it right. You go to bed exhausted. You just do. Um, Knowing that you're putting good contributing members of society out into the world, feeling that bigger picture, feeling that, that more soulful reason why I have them and just finding balance and, you know, reaching out and asking for help when you need it, however that looks, you know, I have a variety of ideas and things that I share in the book that I use that were creative ideas to get myself some help. And I have a great husband who was good, but you know, there were times he was gone six months a year or three months a year. And, right. and it's, and it's hard. And I really, even in the moment knew that I was just exhausted and I go to functional medicine guys, like, how do I handle the stress? Like, this is just, and I really took the hits. And I think that as parents and especially as moms, we do, we do take the hits. Um, and I don't think I have a magic, a magic answer other than just knowing and recognizing 
that you're doing it right when you're tired and that it's it, everything's a phase and it will ebb and flow. Even though the treadmill won't stop, <laughs> it will slow when you'll catch your breath and then it will ramp up again. And then they'll go off to college and you'll take a breath and you'll exhale for the first time in 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> if you love the Rebel Love podcast, you can support us by leaving a review on the Apple podcast platform. This helps us reach more people each month and bring more episodes just like this one. You can also be entered into the draw to win a free pass to the Let Love Begin Summit. 21 speakers on letting go of your ex and learning to open your heart again. Simply leave us a review on the Apple Podcast platform, email us a screenshot to support at rebellove.com and you'll automatically be in the running to win. We give one free pass each month. My friend, um, my friend said she went to a psychic and the psychic told her that her daughter was going to have a child. And she goes, selfishly, I, I don't want her to because that'll be right at the time when she's going to be leaving. And she goes, so then my oh. whole journey will start again. Right. <laughs> and she's right. like, but of course, whatever happens, you know, I love her through it. But I thought that was Right. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> funny that's so funny because oh. she said the same thing yeah like, i'm ready to, you know to take that breath I, and yeah. like the kids are out yay we can live our life again <laughs> well when they were in high school for us you know we had four with the four kids that were teenagers all at the same time and um just my own parenting style was that i was not one of those parents that was going to go out of town for the weekend you know i mean i just why set them up to fail the kids are kids i mean they're already experimenting with what they want to experiment with and I'm here and I'm home and I'm watching and I'm listening. And that, like I said, I took the hits. I would love to have gone away for a weekend with my husband, but I chose, you know, we chose not to, not to do that because like I said, you know, why complicate everybody's lives? Um, I, I took the hits. I made sure, you know, that I'm there. That was just my job as a parent. And I, and it's hard. It's really hard. You know, you, you end up um, taking, more of the brunt because you're the parent and you just, you can't turn it over. There really is no easy way. There really mm. is. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, uh, there's a few kind of specific things I want to talk about. Um, let's talk about blame and also the impact on children when we compare our kids to other people's kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, so blame is again, I'm just, I'm huge about accountability, huge about taking ownership. I remember uh, our older kid, was in the backyard when I was working and I saw him hit one of the younger ones. And of course the younger one cried and my older one, they came to the house and the young one's crying. And I looked at my older son and he's like, I don't know. I don't know why he's crying, you know? And I remember in that moment, he was, I don't know, five or six, it's my older one. And I remember in that moment going, I will be damned if I'm going to have a kid who doesn't take ownership of his behavior. And I made it really kind of like my goal that at any time that I had a chance to circle back and go, what was your part? What did you do? I saw you. He won't just cry. Building and baking in those, um, that consciousness and uh, just making sure that they don't blame others. I mean, ever, never, I wouldn't let them blame or make up an excuse. And I would never, I would always take ownership. So with parenting, I'm very, um, I, I'm very big about leadership. We are leaders and leadership is lacking in the world. Um, and it has for a long time across the mm-hmm. board. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the <laughs> smallest level to the highest level, you, you know, when you think, why, why is this about winning? And I, you know, modeling with my kids, 
leadership at every level that, um, well, okay, if I give a little, you give a little, we both win. So how do we creatively problem solve? Whether I am not the dict- dictator that's telling you how, how this has to be and what's going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime there was a situation where we could take accountability and I'd say, hey, hey, guess what? You know what? I stepped on your on your Lego toy and I broke it. I'm not saying, you know, I was tired because you got me up last night. I'm very careful right. about my words, very careful about what I project onto the kids. So number one, about me, what am I modeling? And number two, when you hear your child te- be tempted to blame anything else, always say, and make it okay that they made that mistake or that they, so always removing that blame when they take accountability, don't shame them you know, don't, don't embarrass them. Celebrate that. Because if you allow blaming and you blame, that is just teaching them that they never have to be responsible for their words and actions. And we don't want anybody like that in society. (laughs) So it's interesting, isn't it? Like how much of an impact the parent's behavior can have on the child. I remember when I was young, I said to my mom, I'm not lying. I don't know what it was about. And she'd and she'd go to me, obviously I was lying. And she'd go to me, yeah. yeah, I know. Why would you lie? Uh, and, and I was like, she did. I was like, oh my God. So then I didn't admit it. But then the next time I didn't do it because she gave me implied trust. And I was like, yes. oh, I can't disappoint her. And she, she'd say it like 100%. dead straight. Oh, why, would you, why would you lie? I believe you. You don't have to say that. I believe you. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it really, right. really works, man. She had some great tricks. Yes, it works because everything is about relationships, right? Like I say, your relationship with yourself and then your relationship with your child. Um, and when you're coming from a place of um, collaboration and trust, you're building that trust, that relationship has to have a foundation of trust. And if they can't trust your reaction um, and they don't feel that you trust them, that that sort of erodes their confidence in themselves as well. So yeah, you, and I tell parents, uh, I have a lot of parents with teenagers and, um, well, I took their keys. I took their car. I took them up, 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 you know, it's right. they're being right. a good parent, mm-hmm. um, which we all think. And I always tell them, give the keys back, give the car back and tell them that you trust them. <gasps> Why would I do that? Because it's the beginning of you starting to believe that you trust them and your child believing that you, you trust them. And then they act to that. You set the expectation and they behave to it. Because when you're raising kids with trust, true respect and trust, the loss of your trust is the punishment. Right. You never have to punish because they never want to let you down. And when they do let you down, and it happens because kids are adults in training. So we, it's all about our perspective. It's all about the mindset and it's just, it's a counterintuitive way of, of approaching how we raise children. And just when you think of your child as an adult in training, you realize I'm growing, you know, my little buddy. So they're not my best friend now, but I, how do I want my best friend to behave? You know, people forget, they think the kid's going to be like this forever. And, and that's not the case. So you need to invest in them and, and take that time for training and teaching. Yeah. Okay. I've got a scenario. What if you've been not the type of parent that we're talking about, mm-hmm. and then you come to someone like you, a parenting specialist for some help that late after you've displayed as a parent, a certain type of behavior for many, many years, can it turn around relatively quickly or does it take some time? 
you know, it really depends on the parent. Um, and it depends you know, my read for the parent. If, you know, it really, it depends. Um, some of them are just never going to get it. And I'm going to see that light bulb go on. I'm going to see how that reaction is going. But mm. if I get a parent who, and this is why I offer, you know, free time and to see if this is a fit. If I get a parent who is blaming my husband's an ass, my husband, you know, if, if you find a parent blaming others and not taking accountability for their actions and what, how they're approaching, then they're not at that point on their journey where they want to hear this. Right. They just want the pain to go away and they're not really too invested in how. Right. Um, they that want the sense. easy, the punishment is so easy because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, the kids in the room, there's quiet. I don't have to deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much more cerebral effort to be this type of parent that I'm talking about. Even though you are letting go of control, you are parenting without giving a fuck. You know, we are, we are backing off and we're allowing and setting the stage so that our kids are, we're raising kids to be making their own decisions. They have their own decision-making power at every turn, at every age. You can't go wrong with that. So if you're right, if you've got a parent that's been restrictive and they're not quickly catching that that restriction is creating that rebellion, sometimes I just can't get through. Um, But typically by the time they come to me, they're a little bit more open and willing to figure something out. So I I have like, I have a bunch of questions here to ask you, but I feel like it's all going to come back to just really staying, like staying conscious and taking accountability and, you know, helping our children through that journey. Um, So one of them was going to be like, I know that a lot of parents use revoking access to the internet. I think a lot of people have seen the meme where it's like, once my child does these chores, then they get that um, password for the internet. So it's really more of a reinforcement than a punishment. What, what's your take on that? Again, getting back to my my core principle of um, parenting in advance, and then I get what I do is I teach parents how to structure collaboration and buy in. So, in any situation, there's always something the child wants, whether it's access to the internet, whatever it is, um, and you, there's always something that you want. So, if you clearly communicate what it is that you want. And we acknowledge what they want. We talk about how, how to get there. So how do we set that, that stage in the home and the, and the culture of the home to say, you know, you get that buy-in from the child. So you've got these responsibilities. I need this, this, and this done. You agree. And then you want this much time on the internet. So when, when then, when this gets done, then this occurs and we're structuring it so that we agree ahead of time. So if you get the buy-in, when the time comes and they're on the internet and their chores aren't done, now you're not yelling. You're not saying, hey, we blah, 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 blah. you said you were right. going to do this. Now you go up and you say, we agreed. We agreed that you would get this, this, and this done. And now, and you're on the internet. We didn't agree to that. So off of the internet and get this done. So it's, a much more collaborative conversation. It's not a punishment. It's not yelling. It's not any of that. It's asking upfront, you know, here's my expectation. And I had very few rules, but the rules I had, I did not deviate from. So getting buy-in, a lot of times parents don't remember or think to ask their kids for their opinion and their, how do we make this work for both of us? Again, it's leadership. 
any leader, any good boss is going to tell you, here's my expectations for you, <laughs> right? And then when you're not meeting them, they're going to come in and they're going to tell you, you know, Talia, we, we're not cutting it. Like, what else, what do you need from me so that you can get this job done? We agreed that this was the expectation of this particular role in this job. Mm-hmm. This is what we, this is the respect we, we treat anyone, a friend, a worker, but we don't do it with our kids. Why? Right. Why don't we do that? Right. Mm-hmm. So my whole goal with parents is to get the buy-in, say upfront what your expectations are, tell them what you need and you want, and then agree that what they, what it is they want, they get after that's done. And then when they don't do it, which inevitably every kid's going to test it. Now, all you can have to do is go back and say, what did we agree to? Now you don't have to yell. You don't have to punish. You don't have to ground. You don't have to time out. Um, and this works at every age. This worked at five. This worked as teenagers. Um, what did we agree to? And I have a whole chapter on the power of we and, and partnership. So I'm about partnership parenting. And um, again, it's just respect and it's collaborative and it works. I love it. I love it. Before we wrap up, I've got a couple more questions, but um, I also want to know about timeouts. I know parents, particularly timeouts are pretty popular for younger children. Let's talk about, let's talk about that because I, uh, what I'm hearing you say is basically <laughs> there's a lot of work for the parent if they are the type of person that uh, is doing the opposite of these behaviors because it takes a lot of, like you said, accountability, personal accountability and responsibility. Well, I th- what listen, when people come to me, they're, they need help. Right. Their life is out of control. So they're willing to say, what do I do? Actually, when you do the parenting the way I my methods are easier because now you're not so reactionary. Everything is under control because now you're, you're laying out your day. Your, your kids understand what's expected of them. Um, and you've got your carrot as to whatever it is they want, whether it's a car, whether it's a toy, whether it's time on TV or computer time, you've got your carrot built in to the accountability factor of what did we agree to? Um, and now we don't have to yell and punish. So when we talk about timeout, it's the same thing is applicable for, for younger kids. I'll give you an example. Our dining room, we turned into a big playpen for the triplets and our older son always wanted to go in and play. So if the kids, if the triplets were two, the, the, my, my older son was like four or five, three years difference. He'd want to go in there and play. But every time he went in there, someone cried within minutes, seconds, because it was power trip for him. He could make somebody cry and it was attention. And undoubtedly I'd be in my office. I'd run in there. Why? Every time you go in there, somebody's crying. La, 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 la. Finally, this is going on every day. Finally, okay, when he goes in there, he makes somebody cry. I finally backed it up and parented it in advance. So this time I said, every time you go in there and you make somebody cry, if you choose to do that again, what should we do about that? And he comes up with a consequence for himself. And okay. five, well, I have to get I have to get out. Okay. Okay. Okay, so you have to get out. So inevitably, somebody cries. I'm being tested now. I, you know, I go over there and instead of yelling, I just say, "What did we agree to?" If somebody cried, I have to get out. Now I said, "Okay, go take some time." And when you're ready, this is the key. When you're ready to play without somebody crying, you may rejoin them. Now here's the subtle difference between the timeout and what I just did. Timeout is parent directed. It's controlled by me. You go to your room and you stay in your room until I tell you. Parent directed, no ability for the child 
child to make decisions or to make choices or to be take stock of his actions and himself. All right. So now I walk over and I say, what did we agree to? I have to get out. Okay. When you're ready to play without somebody crying. Now I took him his word. 10 seconds later, I'm ready to play. Most parents would be like, oh, you can't possibly be ready. You know, we're going to attach controlling adult thoughts to that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I did, I took him at his word and I trusted him. I said, okay, as long as you're willing to play with no one crying, then you can go in. I probably only had to do that whole scenario twice and no one cried because he had, I had buy-in from him. We talked about it up front. I parented in advance and he was in charge of the consequence. It's a little bit more cerebral, but when you understand it and you see how it works, it's, oh my gosh, it's very freeing, very freeing. Yeah. It's, and it sounds like such a, such more of a lovely relationship. Like you, you get to enjoy the time with your child and, and, discover their decision-making process and, and be part of that. Like you said, collaborative. And it, it just sounds like a really, really nice place to be with your child, I think. Well, it, it is. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying that it was perfect. There were times that I'm certainly, I was frustrated. Yes. You know, is it perfect? Did I never yell again? You know, no, but I really, I, I mean, maybe my yelling went from multiple times a day to maybe once every few months, honestly, I didn't have to. Because when kids of the kids that act out and need more attention, they tend to be a little bit more successful in life. They, they have a lot more confidence. They're a little bit more appreciative. They're a little bit more like they challenge us as parents um, a little bit more. You know, and those are the kids that you know, they're actually a little bit more fun. We, in this method that I'm talking about, parenting in advance, giving a little bit more autonomy, those are the kids that really turn the corner. Because you would ask me a while ago, how quickly did I see results? A day, a day. If a parent is willing to be open-minded and try something new, I can get a result within a day, depending on what's happening. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. All yeah. right. Before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit more about your book. Um, where can people get it? Like, let's go into a little bit of detail about more specifically what it's about. I love the title, um, Parenting Without Giving a Fuck. Totally my style. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, a you know, after putting going through raising teenagers, I mean, going through every phase, um, especially the teenagers, you really have to dial it back. And of course we care. That's a counterintuitive message. Of course we care very much, but we have to give the uh, impression that we don't, right? Because the kids just don't want us that involved. And if we've done all of our accountability training ahead of time, um, we can start to let go. So the book is available on Apple. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's available in some stores, but yeah, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble, um, it's available on a lot of different platforms and I did get a mom's choice award for it. So I'm pretty proud that I've gotten a couple of awards in the parenting nonfiction realm. So I'm super proud of that. Yeah. Congratulations. It's awesome. I'm sure it's helping a lot of families. Um, thank you. So thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate your time. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, they can um, reach out on askmomparenting.com. Or they can follow on Instagram or Facebook, Ask Mom Parenting. Beautiful. So thank you again for being here. I thank really, really you for having me. Thank you so much. So everyone listening, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP50. 
Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, and relationships. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast. Bye.